Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From paper cuts to heart attacks, the human body has a limited ability to be able to repair and regenerate. But to what capacity can we repair and regenerate? That's today the we're question. Gonna, that's the question. We're going to figure it out today. And the way we're going to figure it out, Matt, is we're going to chop off your little finger. And we're going to figure out how long it takes. What's or, the benefit of this? Well, the benefit is we're going to figure out whether you can repair or regenerate yourself. Due to I'm due pretty to sure damage. I know the answer to this. Well, look, we don't know. No one's done the experiment yet. Are there any animals that would? Look, we're doing it for the first time today. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, lizards. You can chop off the tail. Oh, uh, look. The finger is the tail of the human body. All right? So. Uh, we I, okay. I haven't consented to this. Well, okay. Well, what if we took a vote? Would you do it if we took a vote? We'll, we'll vote Are you, you going to get your pinky cut off if, if the vote's okay. in favour to you? All right. Let's do this. Or me? Who here wants me to cut my pinky off? Okay. So a lot of crickets. Okay. So, okay. Well, we're just doing humans today. Who wants Matt to cut his pinky off? Okay. The crowd has spoken. Uh, pretty, pretty equal, I think. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mark's Medical Podcast. Today, we're going to take a look at... Firstly, yeah. Happy New Year. Oh, Happy New Year. Happy 2020. Yes. Hey, make sure when you write down the date, don't just put two zero. Put two zero. Two zero, because anyone could take that two zero and put a one eight or a one nine on the end of it and change the date that you may have signed a very important document. Wow! There is your public service announcement. Thank you, Michael. That's all right. Um, have Have you had a good New Year? Yes, up till I lost my pinky. Yeah, well, that was all in the name of good science. Okay. How's it been going? How's that regeneration happen? Anything come back? Well, in the last two minutes, nothing. Mm, a lot of blood, though. A lot of blood. You're getting a bit pale, but I think we'll be able to get through it before we need to go to air. Standard for me. That's true. So. What's today's topic? Well, I think we'll introduce today's topic by saying that when conditions change, cells must adapt to these new environments in order to maintain homeostasis. Okay. So these. we know what homeostasis is. We've covered that. Yeah. You know, it's. Just keep it in a balance. Fluctuation and change that the body needs to respond to, to, like you said, maintain balance. Mm -hmm. Now. Environmental changes can be a whole range of things. They could be normal 
environmental changes, okay. normal stimuli, or they could be injurious. Okay. But the point here is that cells change, or they can change. Or they should change. Or they should change. Now, there's a number, of, there's finite types of changes that they make. What are, the, what are the types of changes that cells can undertake? So these are adaptions? They is are. That, that's what you're referring to? Yeah, they're adaptions or adaptations to these stresses. Yes. So basically, what you're saying is the, th- the 30 odd trillion cells in your body are constantly their own environment that they're in uh, is constantly fluctuating. So therefore, they have to adapt to that change for their own survival. Correct. And that could be either physiological or structurally. Mm. So generally speaking, cells will ad- adapt in. There's four kind of four categories. There's what we call atrophy, hypertrophy, hyperplasia, and metaplasia. Now, you might argue a more of a maladaptive process is dysplasia, and we may cover that at the end, but we will focus on the, the former four. All right. They all sound the same to me. Are we going to be able to delineate between each? What cells do what under what conditions yeah. and some examples? Yes. Perfect. All right. So I think maybe... So, so this is important because this is the crux or this is a foundation for a lot of cellular pathology. So a lot of when you're learning diseases and how diseases manifest, you could probably argue that all diseases are a, uh, a separation or a moving away from homeostasis. Would you agree with that? Yeah, In absolutely. In most cases? I think you could define disease as moving outside of homeostasis. Right. And so the underpinning of all pathophysiology or pathology is kind of understanding the uh, how cells adapt to um, stress and potentially injury. So you can make the point that not all stress results in disease. Not Correct. all stress yep. or injury results in damage that you would term pathological. Yep. Sometimes it's a physiological change. So it's within the range that maintains homeostasis because sometimes you can have some injurious agent or some stress. It changes the cells a little bit. Yeah. Maybe they become hyperplastic, maybe yeah. um, uh, hypertrophic, yeah. maybe metaplastic, but these changes are within homeostasis and mm. you don't get disease. Yeah. So it's an okay change. So there's also a window in which, you know, time period-wise, acute or chronic, usually the chronic exposure over too long a period of time often pushes these cells down these pathways that then result in some sort of pathology. Yeah. So it's either the stress is overwhelming and the, and the cell just can't deal with it and it becomes injured and potentially dies, or um, it's chronic, just happens for too long, and again, downstream, it just gives up. Yeah, okay. that's right. So let's just do an example of a cell. So um, a cardiac muscle cell, let's just say that's in a normal homeostatic state. Okay. Now, you could put certain stress on it that it has to adapt to, such as mechanical force. Okay, so that could be both physiological, like if you become a marathon runner, you have to, your heart has to work harder to maintain a blood pressure for you to do that activity. Mm. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or conversely or pathologically, you might have the same cardiac muscle cell, but it's exposed to high blood pressure that is as a pathology. Yeah, you could... Uh, you Not from running. No, that's right. So you could have high blood pressure due to atherosclerotic plaques, for yes. example. Yes. And so... So the cardiac cell, this is the cell we're talking about, mm. 
in its adaptive phase, it might become bigger to a, to deal with more demand placed on it by that runner. So you're saying it's compensatory. The change, yes, it's compensatory, and the it's change could be the same. So you could have a growth of this cell, yeah, right, in both scenarios, whether it be the athlete running or whether it be the patient with atherosclerosis. Mm. Both compensatory mechanisms may be enlargement of the heart to compensate yeah. for the demands. Uh, demands. Yeah, yeah, good. But one results in a physiological change, which yeah. is within homeostasis, yeah. and one may result in a pathological change, which may yeah. not be able to maintain homeostasis. Yeah, and we'll get to that specific bit later. Okay. But just to, to hold on the cardiac muscle example, if that cardiac muscle, um, let's say, runs out of oxygen... So this could be in a state of angina moving into a heart attack. Mm. The lack of oxygen is now not a stress. It's more as an injury. All right. Does that make sense? So it's it's an overwhelming stress. So what you're highlighting is one cause of cell injury. Yeah. And that's yeah. hypoxia? Yeah. So if hypoxia potentially is transient and it can be reversed, then maybe the cell can adapt an example would be hypoxia to um, bone marrow. So if you go hypoxic, like if you climb mountains, you become hypoxic. Or if you, again, do aerobic activity, you become hypoxic for a period of time. And cells in your body will pick up this hypoxia and adapt to it, right? In the case of bone marrow, it will become hyperplasic. So it will produce more precursors to make more red blood cells to carry more oxygen to stop making you hypoxic. Maintains homeostasis and this right. is a physiological adaptation. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, but if you were to go hypoxic as a cardiac myocyte or a muscle cell like we spoke about, it will potentially now go down in a cell injury pathway. Now, it has, a, depending on how severe that is, will determine if it becomes reversible so it can somehow adapt enough to bring it back to homeostasis or it's damaged it too much and it's now irre irreversible and the two outcomes there is either it's going to be become necrotic or apoptotic. Now, we're not going to cover that today, but that's essentially cell death. Um, one's kind of forced upon it and the other one is the cell decides its own self. It will kill itself. All right. I think you've provided great examples and you've provided a great two... You've provided two great examples of causes of injury and I think let's first before we go into some more examples let's just talk about different ways in which cells can be injured or damaged or even just have their environment changed enough to trigger them to adapt right okay so I think now I'm going to say th three which I think covers probably all of it but okay. I want you to tell me whether there's anything missed out here okay right? so one cause of cell injury could be uh, excessive or unduly prolonged stimuli. What do you mean by stimuli then? So stimuli could be um, too many hormones being secreted into that particular area. It okay. could be too much metabolites being too many metabolites being built up in that particular area. Um, it could be anything along those lines. Make sense? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Number two would be toxins or anything that adversely influences the cell. So this could be genetic. So maybe there's some genetic aberrations that cause the cell to change its growth. It could be uh, infection. Maybe there's some okay. sort of 
bacterial or viral infection that uh, negatively impacts the cell and forces it to adapt or change. Uh, or it could be the example used previously, which could be physical slash mechanical, okay. such as um, resistance training, maybe. Uh, or yeah. it could be having to uh, pump the heart, for example, pump harder in response to high blood pressure. Okay. Right. And then the third one would be deficiencies. So deficiencies of oxygen or nutrients would okay. be the ones that come to mind. So the first one was excess. Second one was toxins or aberrations and then the third one was deficiencies okay all right you okay with that do you reckon that covers it all so this is on a kind of a spectrum of whether it's just a stressor all the way up to whether it's an injury y yeah exactly so maybe the tissue or the cell responds appropriately enough to mitigate any yeah, of these okay. three issues yep. and then it maintains homeostasis or maybe these three things are too strong. Okay. The cell may try to change and it keeps trying and keeps changing, keeps changing. And then we hit, unfortunately, a point of pathology. Okay. So before we, so basically we've set that up well and we're now going to move into the four types, which, but as a overview, the way that the cells actually change it, to these stresses uh, yeah. is usually by their own size. Yep. Their number. Yep. Their shape or their morphology or maybe phenotype if that which is kind of makes sense morphology the, the the way it looks or acts or acts yeah yeah okay one last thing i want to say before we move into the specifics of the four types is when you look at all the cells in your body so how many are we currently told that we have yeah about 30 trillion okay so if you looked at th the 30 trillion cells in your body you can categorize those into three okay. three what three categories <laughs> of, of based on how they their likelihood of replication okay or, or mitosis all right okay so some cells will have the ability to be able to copy themselves for their life so dividing cells yeah, and this are referred to as labile labile cells but we'll say dividing cells. dividing cells or what did you call them pre no post no Mitotic. They're mitotic. Just mitotic. <laughs> okay. Let's from now on say dividing cells because okay. it's self-explanatory. All right. So we have one category, dividing cells. Yep. Do you want to give you a couple of examples? Yeah. So probably the best example, uh, especially within these scenarios we're going to talk about, would be epithelia. And where do you find those? So the first five layers of your skin is epithelia. So coverings, right? That's yeah. A good, a yeah, good they, example. Yeah. They, they, so they cover organs or they cover line uh, organs? Yeah. My... The way I like to define epithelia is it uh, separates out environments. So okay. it provides boundaries. Okay. Um, so, you know, from the internal environment to the external environment. So it lines hollow organs, it lines structures, it lines your body, your skin. Okay. For example, skin, the top layer, top five layers is epithelia. Uh, and they are constantly dividing. They are mitotic cells. I thought we were going to say dividing. I said constantly dividing. Okay. So we've got dividing cell as a category. Yeah. The next one are stable or quiescent? Quiescent. Oh, okay. I apologize for my pronunciation. So these mean that they're kind of hibernating. Yeah, they the have the ability to divide, but they just don't. They're lazy. Yeah, they're, they're, they're Dr. Bartons of the, uh, <laughs> of the cellular world. world. Can you give us an example? Yeah, liver, kidney, pancreas, fibroblasts, smooth muscle, endothelia. Okay, Okay, that's a lot. Provide some I was examples. hoping just one, but that's great. There you go. Okay, so these are cells that are kind of hibernating, but when they need to, they will then divide. Correct. Okay, lastly, the third category of the 30 trillion cells in your body 
are permanent cells. Also known as non-dividing. <laughs> okay. So these are cells that once they're made, they can't copy themselves again. Also known as post-mitotic. In theory, right? Yeah, in theory. There uh, is sometimes um, exceptions to this rule. Like they generally say neurons can't copy themselves to repair themselves. But then you hear sometimes that you've got hippocampal neurons that mm. can, right? So Yeah, uh, look, anytime somebody in biology says this is the fact, uh, there's always going to be an exception to the rule. Okay. So just Which is why I like biology, because it means I'm never wrong, but I'm always wrong. Okay. I'm going to use that as a ringtone. Unlike you, when we have philosophical debates, you're always wrong. Okay. So just to clarify, there's three groups of cells um, that categorize all your cells in the body. There's the... Um, in regards to replication. Yeah. Dividing cells, stable cells. Quiescent. And non-dividing. Perfect. Happy with that? Uh, do you want me to give some examples of non-dividing? You said the brain. Oh, the neurons. Uh, neurons, but also I would say more specifically in the examples we're going to be giving, yep. cardiac and skeletal muscle. What about smooth muscle? Smooth muscle, I said, were quiescent. Okay, so they will copy? If they need to. This is going to be an interesting one, the smooth muscle. We'll get to that. Mm. So the reason why we, we, we're putting these three categories in it, because when these categories respond to their stresses that Mike went through, they, if you can't divide, you can't copy yourself, when you're put under a stress, the only way you can respond to become more efficient to that stress... It limits your adaptation. ...is you can't copy to have more of you. You can only make yourself bigger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or yeah. smaller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas the cells that can divide, they will divide mm. or they'll change their appearance. Yeah, so I think that's a good point. So you sort of do need to know... Uh, just broadly, what cells of the body can divide and can't divide. And it will make sense to the, these now, these four categories of adaptation. Yeah, we'll keep referring back, but I think it's important that you do understand that. So first thing you've got to remember are the different types of potential injuries that a yep. cell can get. Yep. You know, So it can be excesses of things, it can be toxins or anything that adversely influences, or it could be deficiencies, mainly oxygen and nutrients are the deficiencies. And then the types of cells that can undergo or not undergo replication. Okay. And now what we can do is we can give very specific examples of the most common types of changes. And again, those changes, like you said, are uh, hypertrophy, yeah. hyperplasia, metaplasia, and atrophy. Okay. And when we talk about these changes, what ultimately is happening at the cellular level, it, which, which governs this change, is the genes. Yeah, very true. So it's the ac it's actual gene expression changes which ultimately res uh, results with the cell either becoming smaller, bigger, more number, or a change in morphology. Is that yeah. fair? Uh, I would say in most cases, yes. Maybe you can make an argument in atrophy, it could be other things. But yes, I'd say predominantly uh, it's genetic changes. Okay. Um, and then finally, one last point. I think it's important for completion. Yeah. Is once the stress or stressor has been removed, the cell has the potential to go back to its original state. Yes. And that's called repair. Okay. Potentially. Regeneration is when the cell is gone and you make a new one. Yeah. And re yeah. so Rep repair is usually when the cell has the capacity to be able to fix itself. Yeah. So you if you go through an injury and then you're trying to repair the injury let's say you could um you could respond to it by replacing the cell by the same cell or laying down new connective tissue yeah or, or a scar 
which you could argue is still a repair. Yeah, I would. But it's a replacement. So like you said, you might have a laceration in your skin. Yes. And if it's a good laceration in the sense that it's a clean cut and you can put the edges back together nicely, chances are the repaired tissue will be the same as the, the original tissue. And yeah. it, so it's very minimal scar tissue, right? Yeah. But if you have a very inflamed or chronic tissue injury that takes weeks to months to heal, instead of fill, filling up the gap with skin-like cells, you probably fill it up with fibroblast-like cells and it makes – so it's replacing the okay. tissue with a different type of tissue. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, okay, let me, let me rephrase that the repair process – you could probably break into two processes, which is regeneration and replacement. And so regeneration, like you said, is new growth of the lost tissue and replacement is repairing the damaged tissue. And it could be by replacing the cells or by laying down connective tissue, i.e. a scar. So I would say that, and both of these occur to some degree in the repair process. Okay. Replacement and regeneration. Okay, all right. Well, let's move on to atrophy. So atrophy is going to be our first one? I think it's a good start. Okay. So this is where a cell uh, will essentially, as a result of certain adverse, potentially certain adverse conditions or maybe a drop in workload or demands, it will decrease in its size. Yes, and it's important to say that atrophy only occurs or can only occur in organs that did begin as a normal size. So if it began small, that's actually hypoplasia. Okay. Right? So it has to be normal size and then shrink. That is atrophy. Okay. All right. So basically the, the definition of atrophy is the cells decreasing its size. Yeah. The reason for it potentially doing this is it to make the cell more efficient. So if it had a reduced demand on it, it would let's say, drop off some organelles or if it's, let's say, a muscle, it would get rid of some of its protein fibres, so its contractile units Yep. because you don't need it anymore. Yep. Uh, and it makes ultimately makes the cell more efficient and less energy demanding. Yeah, and I probably wouldn't say it gets rid of it because it doesn't need it. It probably, I mean, that's one reason, but it can get rid of it also if there is a demand to use that... Um, the components of that tissue elsewhere. So for example, muscle tissue is obviously contractile tissue. Mm. It allows for us to do work, some form of work or movement, um, create force. But it's also muscle tissue, skeletal muscle tissue is a pool of amino acids that can be used for energy, for the liver, for example, for the kidneys, for the brain. So it's not just, so the muscle may need the amino acids, but if you have something like sepsis or cancer, or burns, or heart failure, or AIDS, for example, it may degrade the muscle tissue. Oh, it kind of overrides. Correct. It may say, we need the energy, I'm sorry. Okay. We don't have the glucose, we don't have the fat, we're going to have to start using some of these amino acids for energy, and that can result in muscular atrophy, for example. Okay, that's a good one. So some examples, some category examples is um, why you would get atrophy tissue, or atrophied tissue, is mm. disuse. Yeah. Okay, so an example would be if you... Your biceps. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, if you broke your arm, uh, let's say you're... Or better yet, I broke yours. Okay. Ulna radius is broken. Great. Um, you go to emergency and they would want that bone to heal 
I don't know, what, six to eight weeks? Yeah. And they don't want you to move it. So they, how do they uh, immobilize it? Um, they strap it to the back of your head. Okay, so they put it in a cast. Oh, that's right. Okay, so to limit the movement. Like of a play. Of those bones. Like it plays the, the, the lead role. Okay, you're not being helpful here. All right, sorry. Um, and so all the muscles in your forearm aren't being used. Okay, so it's that kind of use it or lose it phenomenon. Okay. And so all those muscles in your forearm aren't being used, so the demands on them is low, therefore they will go through atrophy. So when you take the cast off in six to eight weeks... You've got one crab arm and the other one's this shrunken... The muscles in your forearm would be significantly diminished in size. So is that what happened to both of your arms? You broke both, obviously. At the shoulder. At the shoulder. Okay, so disuse, are you happy with that as an example? Uh, For atrophy, yeah. Okay. I mean, like I said, I think my one is also, my point was also an important point. Remind what that was. (laughs) For example, skeletal muscle has amino acids as a pool of energy. Or would that be be under nutrition? Uh, as in the injurious cause was yeah. lack of nutrition. Yes. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Rather yeah. than disuse. Yeah, or, you could or be it could be increased metabolic demand. So you could be still um, using your muscles, but if, like you said, if you're going through a state of starvation or something, mm. the, the lack of nutrition may um, put the demand in the most needing parts of your body and therefore it pulls, pulls the the proteins and stuff out of your muscles. Yeah, and I think the difference between your example and my example is yours was physiological adaptation, physiological atrophy. Mine was pathological okay. atrophy. Uh, another so is you, and you can categorize these, um, all these four adaptations with physiological versus pathophysiological as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so don't just think that when your cells change, whether it be atrophy, atrophy, uh, atrophy hyperplasia, hypertrophy or metaplasia that it's all about disease it's all bad yeah yeah it's sometimes just let's get back into homeostasis and it can just stop there but so for example with the atrophy even though we already provided two examples physiological and pathological just another example would be uh, a physiological atrophy would be what happens to the uterus after pregnancy yep Yep. so So uterus is big uh, nourishing the, the the bub and then once postpartum that uterus has to shrink or atrophy and so basically the tissue is shrinking okay so um you would say and we'll get to this so you would say the uterus in this case was probably gone it's gone through its smooth muscle Mm. so the the uterus is made of a smooth muscle yeah uh it's gone through hypertrophy when you're pregnant yeah and hormones have is the reason for the um the uterus to get bigger yep but once the ba- the babe has been passed out, the hormone level has dropped off. Yep. And then those cells have gone through atrophy because of hormonal change. Mm. So that was the stressor, hormones. Yep. Correct? Yeah. Okay. But, for example, you can also get pathological atrophy due to a decrease in blood supply, a decrease in hormone levels as well, decrease in innovation. All these things can actually result in atrophies too. Yeah, so a good example of ischemia is, so that would be pathology. So the difference between ischemia and hypoxia, hypoxia essentially means the reduction or reduced amount of oxygen to tissue, but ischemia is specifically localised. 
So you could have whole no, body. I would argue that it's, you're right, but I would say hypoxia is specifically oxygen and ischemia is oxygen and nutrients. True. Um, yeah, I guess you're right. So you would have um, in a heart attack where you have reduction of blood flow to the heart, that's ischemia. Yeah. Okay. But still the, the heart's going through hypoxia, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Hypoxia sits underneath the umbrella of ischemia. Okay. Yeah. But hypoxia itself isn't just a blood supply issue. Ischemia is... Hypoxia can be a, a, an issue with getting oxygen into the lungs. Could be an issue with gas exchange yeah. or red at blood the lungs cells. or at the tissues or an issue with red blood cells carrying the oxygen. So hypoxia can happen at many levels. Ischemia specifically, the localised blood vessel, like you were saying, is not carrying both the oxygen and nutrients it requires to the target area. Okay, so... That's a good definition. So the example of ischemia that would cause atrophy could be um, peripheral vascular disease. So mm. people who have peripheral vascular disease that actually, in some cases, have very skinny legs. So that's what happened to you. So <laughs> I've got, I've got you everything. Broke, you broke I? both your arms and, and got you've got ischemia at the legs. Um, I think we've really covered... We've done endocrine cause. We've done blood flow cause. We've done yep. nutrition, de-innovation... So an example of de-innovation, if you were to have a... Um, Trap nerve. Yeah, or a, a, a lacerated nerve. Yeah. So this would be considered a lower motor neuron injury. Yeah. So the muscles that are innervated by that nerve have been um, turned off. Yeah. So, so the muscles aren't being stimulated by nerve and particularly neurotransmitters. Yeah. And they become, um, I don't know, non-trophic. So they're not being uh, nourished by those neurotransmitters. Sure, yeah. Because I think what you'll find in nerve damage, you have greater atrophy in a lower motor neuron injury than you do if it's upper. So let's say if you were to have spinal cord injury, yeah, we know that your legs may be de-innervated from a, the spinal cord. Mm. But if you were to have uh, a lower motor neuron injury, let's say you had a sciatic nerve cut, you would get greater atrophy from that than you would from the spinal cord injury. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. Because of the, of the neurotransmitter issue yeah. or, or lack of. So that's atrophy done. Are you happy with that one? Yeah, I think that's good. I think we covered it quite well. Oh, one other fi final one for physiological atrophy Yeah, would be in the embryo. Okay, so to form our fingers in the embryo, we kind of start off as paddles. Right. So at four weeks, you have kind of like paddle arms come out of the side of your body, and as they lengthen, your arms get longer, and your you know your limbs start to form. But to make your toes and your fingers, you kind of at one point have more webbing, and you have to kind of atrophy tissue between them to okay. kind of form the individual digits. And so, so that's all genetically driven, right? It would be. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So you get so you get and that's like you said physiological atrophy because it it's it's a normal process, yeah. Yeah. We don't want paddles. I mean unless you want to be an Olympic swimmer. Yeah. Could be useful. Could be useful, but um may not be very good for answering the phone. All right. So, next one, what do you want to choose? We'll do the opposite of it. Ah, hypertrophy. So, hypertrophy. Okay. Probably I think saying the opposite Good point. Increase in the size of cells or tissues in response to various stimuli. And uh, probably straight off the bat, when you hear hypertrophy, a lot of people probably think of muscle hypertrophy. Yeah. And the two muscles that they probably think of 
uh, if you like going to the gym is skeletal muscle hypertrophy yep. or if you work in the medical industry, it's cardiac hypertrophy. Okay. Don't you think? Yeah, they're good examples. Thank you. Uh, I think, right, I think what now? I think they're the best ones. Oh, well, thank you. So the definition is hypertrophy. Hyper means increased. Yeah. And trophy. Uh, wow. I like how you start defining a word that you actually don't know the etymological origin Or trophic means to nourish. Correct. Te- technically. So it may be a slightly confusing to think it's increased nourishment when, uh, it, when, when it's more to do with the size, right? Yeah. Anyway, I anyway, ju- anyway. I would have just stu- stuck to my definition that I gave anyway. at the beginning. So hypertrophy as a definition is just essentially the cell gets bigger. Now right. these are generally going to be those non-dividing cells. Correct. So these cells are the non-dividing cells when a stress has been put on them. Yeah. Now, two classic examples, like you said, muscle. Skeletal muscle. Skeletal and... Cardiac. Cardiac. Yeah. Yep. They're very good um, examples. And so certain things have been put on them like uh, functional demand, mechanical demand. So they have to work harder to overcome physical stress. So should we... I mean, we, we touched upon it at the beginning, but maybe let's take skeletal muscle and cardiac muscle and give two physiological examples and then let's give two pathological examples. What do you reckon? Okay. All right, you go first. One final thing I'll say before we get into this. Um, cool. A big part of this is what what's actually happening at the cell level is gene expression yep. is bumping up to make more, if we're talking at a muscle level, making more contractile proteins. So these would be the myosin and actin. And also you probably want to make a lot of any pro- energy producing uh, organelles, which would be mitochondria, right? Yeah. So does mitochondria, what tells mitochondria to copy itself? To make more more mitochondria, its own self? No, it'll be the surrounding demand, just like our cells. But what I mean is like, you know how you talk about gene expression? Yeah. Does the gene expression have to happen in the mitochondria? If it wants to make more mitochondria, yeah. Yeah, okay. Because it's yeah. technically a bacteria, right? Uh, kind of. Kind of. I mean, you'd say it's bacterial in origin, mm. um, but what you would say is that in order for bacteria to... Well, look, bacteria... Sorry, uh, mitochondria. Mitochondria grow and divide by fission like bacteria does so yeah. you can fuse mitochondria and you can fissure mitochondria and it splits apart and it can happen due to genetic changes from our genome or genetic changes of its oh, own so our our own gene expression can tell mitochondria to copy itself and to undergo no, well it can tell it but it has to obviously do it do through itself. its own circular genome but we can tell it to undergo fission for example happens all the time, like environmental stimuli within the cell itself changes and it results in fission. So lack of oxygen, for example, can alter the size of a mitochondria. That's Um, interesting, isn't it? Very common. I mean, you see that in Parkinson's disease, there seems to be some sort of uh, chemical changes that occur within the damaged cell of the neuron and you have a look at the mitochondria and they are all broke up, all these fissured mitochondria, which is an indication that there's an issue. Oh, fascinating. There you go. Um, so I think that's a really good point is that with hyperplasia, it's... Trophy. Uh, sorry, with... Yes, sorry. With hypertrophy, it's all about you don't change the number of cells, you just change the size of the cells. Because they, they can't. Because they can't. They can't change their number. And when we look at muscle... And, and uh, the way I like to think about this is cells that are really good at changing their number, so hyperplasia, which we haven't gone through yet, 
means they like to divide. And if they like to divide, they're more prone to cancers. These cells that don't divide are not prone to cancers. You rarely hear of muscle cancer, right? You rarely hear of skeletal muscle cancer. You rarely hear of cardiac cancer. It's because they don't divide. So then they... It's a good point. Significantly reduce likelihood to, to divide and result in cancer. Yeah. All right. But, so but but either one, hypertrophy or hyperplasia, if you looked at just the organ level, yeah. both of them would be bigger. Oh, absolutely. And so you wouldn't really know which is which. Oh, but, good point. But when you go down to the level... Yeah, microscopically. Macroscopically, one, can't tell. Yeah, the muscle cells have gotten bigger, so they're hypertrophic, whereas, say, in epithelial tissue has increased in number, and that's hyperplasia. Yeah. So if we okay, let's let's look at the physiological example for skeletal muscle hypertrophy. Okay. So like you said, there's an increased demand on that skeletal muscle to perform its role, and its role is to provide work, force, movement, and so resistance training, for example, mm-hmm. is the stimuli. It's the stressor, and the cell needs to respond to be able to uh, continue to work to maintain homeostasis for that stressor. And so what it does is it increases the number of contractile proteins within that cell. That just means you're packing more things inside of a briefcase and that briefcase gets bigger. And bulges out. And bulges out. So same thing's happening here. This is the hypertrophy and this is physiological. It happens with your biceps when you go to the gym. It even happens with your heart if you're a marathon runner, for example. Okay. So there's physiological changes. A couple other physiological changes. Well, you already said one and that was the uh, uterus in pregnancy, mm-hmm. but that possibly isn't the same kind of mechanism as the biceps of the gym. It's yeah. possibly more to do with um, hormones. I would say that, wouldn't that be more hyperplasia than hypertrophy? No, I believe I believe that the actual um, uterus muscle cells are bigger in nature rather than oh, okay. number. Okay. What about the, does the cervix change? Yeah, well, then, uh, potentially. You'd, you'd assume so, right? The cervix uh, being the neck of the of the uterus, yeah, it would change. Um, that's epithelial tissue. Yeah. So I'm not sure what that will do, and during pregnancy, mm. but it does. It definitely changes over time as age. Yeah. And we can talk about that when we get to the other, other ones. Okay. Uh, another good example is if you were to have, this is for maybe more pertinent for males. If you were to have an enlarged prostate, which yeah. is called benign uh, prostatic. prostatic hyperplasia, yeah, okay, that would restrict urinary flow out of your bladder. Yeah, okay, your bladder can compensate to, by this. So it's pathological. No, this is still physiological oh. for your bladder because it's right. got a greater stress to push past. So your ut- your uterus, your bladder becomes hypertrophic to ah. push the urine past your Prostate. So basically in this case, in this scenario, it's sort of synonymous with uh, having increased blood pressure and your heart having to respond to overcome that blood pressure. Mm. Having a hypertrophic heart, you can have a hypertrophic bladder to overcome the pressure of the prostate pushing back. Yeah, yeah. Or, okay. just, re- or just restricting the flow, yeah. Uh, all right. Shall we uh, look at some pathological hypertrophy? Yes. All right. So... This is the thing, uh, probably the, one of the biggest or mo- one of the most difficult things that happen with hi- cardiac hypertrophy is delineating the difference between uh, physiological hypertrophy yeah. and pathological hypertrophy of the heart. Um, both occur, both yeah. are indi- potentially indistinguishable just from looking at it. W- you to know, a point. To, to a, a point. point. I mean, for example, f- 
what they would say is that physiological hypertrophy of cardiac myocytes um, is an increase in its size, but it maintains normal function. But when you look at pathological, it's increase in size, but there's a problem with the way it functions. And so you can have uh, decreased size of chambers. You can also have stenotic valves as well. That would, also, ca- that would cause it? Well, steno- stenotic valves are usually the pre hypertension and stenotic valves are usually the precursor for the pathological hypertrophy that's occurring okay. for the heart. Okay. Um, so usually there's going to be some dysfunction, physiological dysfunction that's measurable. Okay. So I mean, if someone's going for thirty kilometer runs, yeah, and they've got a big heart, you'd probably say, okay, it's an athlete's heart. Yeah. They're breathing fine. There's no dysfunction. But if you have somebody potentially come in with long-standing aortic, yeah, uh, what's it? They got stenosis. Yeah, they got long-standing stenosis or long-standing hypertension. Hypertension, potentially um, sitting in a category that's increased likelihood of other comorbidities, being overweight, having diabetes. then you'd potentially, and you know, shortness of breath and all that type of stuff, pulmonary issues that are associated, you'd probably say, okay, this is a pathological yeah. cardiomyopathy. Yes. Um, so yep. just to add on that, so like you said, it might be difficult or even indistinguishable at a gross level, yeah, at a macro level to look at the heart. I'm sure cardiologists and cardiothoracic experts would know the difference between a hypertrophic heart from an athlete versus a disease process yeah. Okay, by looking at the heart as a whole. But there are cases where athletes drop dead of um, cardiac arrests because they've got cardiac hypertrophy. Okay. Um, but at the cellular level, when you look at the hi- hypertrophy, the difference that I've understood is when you look at, say, a physiological adaption like the marathon runner. Yeah. When they increase the size of the muscle... It's a proportional increase. So as the yes. muscle gets wider, it proportionally gets longer. Okay. Whereas if you look at a pathological hypertrophy, like the, the example of the blood pressure issue or the stenotic aorta, it will get wider than long longer. Yeah. And so it becomes too bulky and not enough, um, I guess, ability to... Um, the word fill yeah and then push out so remember the heart's got to um, fill with blood before it can push it out right and if the heart's hugely bulky the actual chamber itself is reduced in size yeah so it has it it becomes inefficient or ineffective yes so the the way i kind of think of it is imagine um you want to do a 50 meter lap of a pool swimming if you, when you look at an athlete swimmer, they've got muscle, but a proportional amount of it, right? Yeah. If you chucked in a bodybuilder, and sa- and they've got more muscle, so you could say in theory they should be better, but it's not functional for that particular thing. Potentially, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then when you look at another myopathy, which is the, the dilation or dilated cardiomyopathy, it's the opposite. It goes longer to width and it becomes almost floppy. Yeah. But you can also have, for example, if you've got long-standing hypertension, you could just have a single um, ventricle enlarge, right? Like you said, so if you've got, the problem is systemic, um, 
in arguably the left ventricle is going to be the one with the problem because it's yeah. pushing against it. Okay, is there anything else no. in hypertrophy? You happy with all that? Yeah, I think we did well. Okay. Hyperplasia? Next one's hyperplasia. So this term, hyper-increased plasia is... Cells. Dividing. Yeah. Okay. So again, the ac- what's actually happening in the organ level is it's getting bigger. But in this case, it's getting bigger because the increased number of cells... Yes. Is, that's what's increasing. Yeah. Big difference between hypertrophy, same cell number, it's just the cells getting bigger. Hyperplasia, increased cell number, the cells aren't getting bigger. And so if you think about it in that way, what cells to increase number? They must be dividing. Dividing cells. So so that's the big difference between hypertrophy, yeah. non-dividing, hyperplasia, dividing. So some good examples are intestines. Yeah, because um, of epith- anything with epithelia. Yeah. Uh, bone marrow. Ah, oh, yeah, good point. Um, and glandular tissue. Yeah. Okay. So Epithelia is a good example yeah. though. All right, so do you want to do physiological and pathophysiological again? Sure. Uh, a physiological change for uh, hyperplasia would probably be something like breast tissue during pregnancy. Pregnancy or even going into puberty. Yes. So you increase the number of cells, increases the size of the tissue. and But again, physiological is it's changing its function potentially to now suit the current environment. So again, with pregnancy, the tissue changes, tissue grows due to more cells, but a lot of these cells may be mammary and they can increase the amount of milk production, for example. So again, the stimuli or the changing environment dictates the adaptation or change, but the demands are now met in physiological. So homeostasis is maintained. I just wanted to really continue to highlight that because in pathological, the adaptation does not meet the demands and it continues to push itself out of homeostasis and it's a point. So that's physiological. Do you want me to give an example of pathological or did you have an example? I just wanted to elaborate on the breast. So oh, yeah. uh, like for instance, going into puberty and then to pregnancy, the ho- ultimate aim here is to produce more cells that can produce milk. Yeah. So ductal cells. Now, similarly, if you're making, if these are the cells that are going to be replicating, making more of themselves, yeah. there is the... Making more of themselves? Selves. There is the possibility as they're copying themselves. Because remember, what happens? What's the cell doing when it's copying itself? Uh, It's dividing. Yep. So So the genes, unlike in hypertrophy, where the genes that are being copied in hypertrophy are more like muscle actin and myosin and things like that to make the cell bigger... The cell, the, the genes that have been expressed You're here, copy the DNA, are more like cell cycle genes. Uh huh. Right, and so as it's copying itself and or its DNA, what's the possibility that may go wrong? Well, you got to turn the cell cycle on, yeah. and so when you turn it on, uh, and you, you read and you read all your DNA, you have to turn it off at some point. Yeah. Um, and if an error occurs where it doesn't turn itself off, it can basically replicate out of control mm-hmm. and that is cancer yeah and so if you do in the breast as an example mm-hmm. the most common type of breast is ductal cancer so this is uh-huh. a cell that's originate from the ductal pool of cells gotcha does that make sense yeah it makes sense okay opposed to say a lipoma or something that's coming from say fat like cells yeah okay. yeah um before you go on to the pathophys- pathological uh, an example you probably would say they're still physiological but it's in response to it's compensating. So, um, liver. Yeah. So th- 
what kind of cells were the, in the liver, the hepatocytes? Yeah. They were quiescent. Quiescent. Okay. Um, so these cells are generally hibernating, but when there's a stimulus for them to divide, they will do so. So hypothetically, if you were to surgically remove half of your liver, yeah, which our colleague has gone through as a surgical procedure, he had half his liver removed for a, a treatment, um, the liver cells in some, sh- in some way will sense this change, probably through an ability to sense neighbouring um, stimuli. They then turn on and copy themselves until the liver grows back. That's right. So this is a compensatory physiological response. Another good example of that is the red blood cells or bone marrow when you become hypoxic. So if you are a mountain climber or an athlete... Which I am, both. You would, be, you would become hypoxic to a degree... I think your kidneys would sense that first and they will release uh, EPO. EPO, urethropoietin, and that would erythropoietin. go to, and that would go to your red marrow cells yep. in your bone. Bone marrow. Yep. <laughs> short in like the short bones such as what hips, vertebra, skull, clavicle, sternum. sternum. Skull. Did you say skull? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sternum? And, and say to them, Hey, we need some more red blood cells, please. So this would probably be arguably hormonal, I guess you'd say. EPO is a hormone, yeah. Yeah. It would go to them and say, hey, we need some more red blood cells because we need more oxygen. We're hypoxic. Please copy yourselves. So we get in hyperplasia yep. in your bone marrow. Uh, so it's compensatory. In the amount of time it took Matt to say <laughs> that, you've probably uh, created around about climb five, the, climb the mountain. five to ten million red blood cells. Oh, I thought you were going to do a criticism here. No, no, no. No, I was just stating a fact. Okay. Yeah. Now, around about every ten seconds, you create about a million red blood cells. Okay. And that's without EPO's stimuli, direct stimuli due to hypoxia. It's amazing. Thank you. Should we uh, do the pathology? pathology? Yes. Okay. Um, I got, I got two, but I'm going to let let you give me your one. Oh, thank you, a generous one. Um, I would say uh, one hyperplastic uh, scenario. That's I've, I've already given one. That's pathological. Would be uh, a, a adrenal hypertension, uh, adrenal hyperplasia. <laughs> That's a new one. <laughs> yes, I haven't heard of that one. You heard it the first time here with Michael Dodonovich. <laughs> adrenal hypertension, uh, adrenal hyperplasia. So the adrenal glands uh, create too many cells and they grow and grow and grow, and it's due to excessive stimuli of the hormone ACTH, which is adrenocorticotropic hormone, which comes from the uh, anterior pituitary gland. If there is something like an uh, pituitary adenoma. So okay. some sort of uh, growth, cancerous growth of the pituitary gland releases too much. And what, and what kind of growth is happening there? It's an adenoma. It's a cancerous growth. So that would... Oh, hyperplastic. Hyperplasia. Yeah, oh, it's a neoplasia because yeah, it's, yeah. it's a new growth. You wouldn't even say it's dysplasia. Which no, so Matt's just confused all of us. <laughs> all right. So... Is that an okay ad- example? Adrenal hyperplasia. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I, I like it. You like it. Uh, <laughs> All right. Another yours. example is, I've, I said it earlier, um, BPH, which is benign prostatic hyperplasia. Yeah. So the stimulus here is testosterone-like or androgen-like hormones. All right. And that essentially puts the prostate, I think it's usually for, for males over the age of 40-ish, 50. A lot of, them, a lot of males will get this. I think 
I think the statistics are 100% of Is males it? over the age of 80 will have BPH. Will have some form of enlarged prostate, whether it's BPH or cancer. Okay. So there you go. It's um, inevitable. But, so the stressor is hormonal. Yeah. That will tell the cells to just keep copying themselves. Okay. What's okay. another one? Uh, another one is a, um, a virus. Mm-hmm. I think papilloma virus. Uh, HPV. Yeah. Yeah. Or it doesn't have to be that one per se, but it's a virus. So the stimulus or the stressor is a virus, which presumably would change the genes in the cell cycle. And you could see this um, at the cell, sorry, the cell level, at the skin level. Yeah. For example, Warts. Warts. Gotcha. So that's hyperplasia at the skin. Yeah. But the inducing agent or the stressor is the virus. So would you say a wart is hyperplasia? Yes. Pathological, if it if yeah, it has no a, detrimental well, it's effect. A, it's a disease forming process, right? You wouldn't say that the body. You could say it's within it. normality. Yeah. Probably not. Anyway, um, yeah, probably not. So moving into. You could say that virus, but more so for females at the cervix level, yeah, because that is epithelial, yeah, um, could cause the starting point of hyperplasia, but then might move into dysplasia, which we'll get to at the last part. I'll just of say that my my daughter's generation will probably never have to witness uh, cervical cancer due to HPV. Well, actually, surprisingly, in I think I read an article today, and it was in the UK. Yeah, it's increasing again because the um, adherence to the vaccine has dropped off. Well, if everyone adhered to the vaccine mm. and had it, because I think it's something like ninety, it's in the ninety percent. It's nearly eradicated. The ninety percent range of uh, cervical cancer causes is from the HPV. Yes. Virus. Yeah. Or at okay. least one of the multiple types of HPV viruses. Yeah. I think there's like 12 or something. So the suggestion would be to have the vaccine. Strong yeah. suggestion. Oh, absolutely. Uh, boys and girls. Yeah. Boys and girls. All right, can we do the last one, which is metaplasia? Yes. So uh, you go. This is similar to hyperplasia. So there's a, going to be an increase in number of cells. Okay. So they are copying themselves, but they are also changing the cell type. So, I guess you have to these this change has to come from a population of cells that have the ability to differentiate still. Yes. So, sorry, but saying that it can't differentiate into a different type of cell. So you you can't go from an epithelial cell into a connective tissue cell, or you can't go in I don't know an epithelial into a neuron or into a muscle. You can only be going epithelial to epithelial, but you could go from a epithelial that's flat, which is called what? Squamous. Into a, a, um, a s- epithelial cell that's square, which we'd call cuboidal. Squirrel. Squirrel. Or, or like a column, which you call columnar. So let's, let's just clarify that then. When we look at metaplasia, which is, cha- which is changing cells, what we are looking at here is a cell not changing from cell type to cell type. It's changing just the form of the cell, right? It's so predominantly this is just happening in epithelia because epithelia are like bricks to build a house and you can have many different shapes of bricks to build a house. You can have flat ones, square ones, big ones, long ones, right? And so all you're doing is changing the shape. Now, here's the thing. Why though? 
Okay, so when we look at epithelia, what we always teach is form equals function. So the shape of an epithelial cell will tell you what it does. Okay. So when we look at epithelia in the lungs, these epithelia are, are single-layered and they're squished so that gases can move through. Because the function of lungs? Is gas exchange. Okay. So the form dictates the function. What about skin? When we look at the skin, they're squished, but they're packed on top of each other, many layers. So it's their form. So lots of bricks. Yeah, lots of, lots of bricks. Because of the barrier. Mechanical protection. And so when we look at metaplasia, we're often looking at epithelia. Yep. And epithelia are constantly dividing. Yeah. And the reason why is because they have a very strong and um, quite large stem cell population. Okay. And what will happen in this case if we look at... So let, let's look at um, a common case of metaplasia. In the esophagus, you have... I want you to think about when you swallow food. So when... Okay, let's look at Matt swallowing food what? because Matt chews three times before he swallows. So let's just say Matt's eating a delicious burger, vegetarian burger <laughs> that is decided to chew three times and then swallow. So there's big pieces that could potentially aggravate, scrape, damage or injure the esophagus. So when you look at the esophagus on the cellular level, it's squamous, squished, many layers Protect. Stratified. Stratified. So it's basically the same type of tissue that's in your cheeks. right? Or your skin. Or your skin. But it's waterproofed. Correct. Or non-waterproof. No, it's non because your skin's water. So it's non-keratinized yeah. squamous, epi- uh, stratified squamous epithelia. All right. Now, this is the thing. Your esophagus leads into the stomach. The stomach is full of acid. Your esophagus is not. There is a sphincter in between mm-hmm. called the lower esophageal sphincter. And for some people, it's not very good. And it doesn't separate out, such as myself, it doesn't separate the barrier between the esophagus and the stomach very well. So you get a lot of the contents of the stomach spill upwards into the esophagus, i.e. the acid. And that acid is quite mm. damaging. It's got a pH of 2 to 3, and it can damage... That's irritating. Yes. Mm. Now, this is the thing. That squ- stratified squamous epithelium in the esophagus is there to stop mechanical damage, but not chemical damage. And so it's not purposely built to withstand chemical damage. So now the stimuli in the environment has changed. Yeah, and can I just put one point here? For metaplasia, in most cases, the stimulus or the stressor is either irritation or chronic inflammation. Oh, okay. 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 So they're the That's two biggest causes of the stress Interesting. In, in metaplasia. Okay. okay. I didn't I didn't realise that, so that's good. So in this case, what is the stressor? It's a... A irritation. pH irritation. Which would likely result in inflammation. Yeah. And that inflammation is going to lead to the cellular change. Yep. So you need to think about this then. What is the type of epithelia in the stomach then? And the type of epithelia in the stomach has to be epithelia that can manage acid, acid which is mucus secreting cells. And very tight junctions. Very tight junctions. And so these are going to be mucus secreting, more like cuboidal shaped, columnar shaped cells, not squish cells. So what happens in the esophagus is environment changes. Stratified squamous epithelia go, I can't manage this. I need to fix it. I need to change it. And it changes its shape, i.e. metaplasia, into a more mucus secreting looking. Now, it doesn't mean it can secrete mucus. It just changes its shape in an attempt to fix the environment. And unfortunately, this attempt often goes... Not very well. Potentially awry. And this change is called Barrett's esophagitis. So the way I understood what you just said was um, you've got a floppy sphincter 
Right. That, <laughs> that, that may not be the first time somebody said that to me, but it will be the last. Okay. Um, your Wobby sphinct- sphincter Todorovich, they call me. <laughs> at, your, um, at your stomach esophageal junction level. Yes. Uh, as a result, stomach contents goes back up into the esophagus, which is called reflux. Mm. Your esophagus, which now been exposed to the acid, ad- tries to adapt to it by making cells, epithelial cells that are more like the stomach cells. Yep. To better equip it itself to the acid. Mm. Okay. Correct. Correct. And this is called metaplasia. Yes, and in this okay. specific case, it's called Barrett's esophagitis. Okay. And metaplasia can often be a precursor for cancer. Okay. Not always. Yep. I don't have Barrett's esophagitis, thankfully, not yet, but it can be a precursor. So when they see that, they go, okay, we need to keep our eye on it because it's just increase your likelihood. Okay, one other example that I'll give, and then we'll move on to the last one, dysplasia, um, is at the bronchial level. Now, this would be also probably inflammation, irritation. Um, so this is for smokers. Yep. So I'll ask you the questions you answer, Michael. So at your bronchial levels, trachea, bronchial levels, what is the lining of, of those parts of your respiratory tract? Uh, I would say they're at the bronchial levels. Yeah. Okay, so not at the bronchiole or bronchi? Say bronchi. Okay, the bronchi, I would say that they're uh, simple columnar ciliated epithelia. Epithelia. Close. What well, The technical term for them? The technical term for them? Wouldn't they be... So I think they're technically called... Pseudostratified. Pseudostratified. Ciliated. Ciliated columnar epithelia. Yeah, okay. Sorry. Now, why are they ciliated? Ciliated. Uh, they're little fingertip-like projections that can capture and shift particles around, yeah, such so as... So there's mucus down there, yep. and there's also those, those little cilia. Yeah. And but it moves it up yeah. to the mouth, not down to the gas exchanging Aviola, part. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's their normal function, right? Yeah. Now, if you expose these cells to a irritating pro-inflammatory stress like smoking, Matt, uh, smoking, um, tobacco smoking, yeah, these cells will adapt through metaplasia to change that form into St- uh, stratified squamous. Yeah. So that's a change that that occurs with smokers. Gotcha. Okay, and as a result. As you'd imagine, you are more likely now to go into a cancerous state or precursor to cancer. So I think yeah. small cell carcinomas is a common one in smokers. Yeah. Um, but they lose their ability to clear the um, irritants, so they get that smoker's cough. It's the first thing they do every morning. They cough, 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 because all the particulates haven't been captured and thrown into the esophagus to go to the stomach for digestion. It just drops down into the bottom of the lungs and they... <coughs> Well, about 30 minutes every morning. So that's that's a form of metaplasia. Are we done with metaplasia? Yeah, that's done. And then we move on to the fifth, which is not technically no. the, the four main adaptations. You sure I'll, you want to include it? I'm going to put it in there just really quickly. Okay. Now, this is probably arguably a maladaptive process. Okay. So dis as a pre- fix. prefix yeah. uh, means disordered. Yeah. Disordered growth. Yeah. Okay. So this is a deranged cellular growth. How do you delineate between dysplasia and metaplasia? Um, Especially with something like Barrett's. Yeah, that's a good question. Right. Uh, I think dysplasia is much more closer to a precancerous state. 
I would say that metaplasia is much more reversible. Yeah. Whereas dysplasia is technically could be reversible, but it's less likely. Um, both is in response to inflammation, irritation. Probably dysplasia is over a longer period of time. Okay. Um, maybe the difference is what's actually happening at the cell growth level. So maybe metaplasia is more consistently just the change in cell being... So let's say your Barrett's example is all the cells at your esophagus are just becoming more cuboidal-like, right? Yeah. But in, in dysplasia, you get an increase uh, number, size, and their organisation changes. So everything kind of is modified, okay? But it's important just to know that it is in response to chronic inflammation irritation and it's probably a maladaptive process. So it's not a good one. Yeah, I tend to agree. I'd say that when you look at the difference between metaplasia and dysplasia, is that metaplasia is likely reversible uh, and not necessarily uh, resulting in disease. Yeah. And that dysplasia, because it's got dis in it, it's telling you it, it has resulted in some sort of problematic change, likely irreversible and likely disease-causing. Okay. Two examples I'll give you for a dysplasic change yeah. is cervical cancer. Okay. So this is at the cervix level, which is the bottom of the uterus. This is the lining, so this is the inside. Okay. Um, this is epithelial tissue. Now, these cells may go through a dysplasic change. Yep. Okay. And a good example of which we gave was in response to a virus. So a virus for it to replicate has to actually change your DNA or change the way your DNA is read, right? kind of inserts its own DNA That's right. into your DNA to get you as you as in your cell to make more viruses, right? But by the virus doing that, it increases the likelihood of a mutation occurring, right? And so in the case of HPV, by your cervical cells becoming infected by HPV, it increases the chance of mutations occurring, which can make it dysplasic. Yep. And then that can go down a path of more neoplastic changes, which is um, much more problematic. The other example is bronchopulmonary dysplasia, which is uh, in the population of preterm babies. Okay. So if they're born pre-30 weeks, as you'd imagine, their lungs are immature. Yeah. They have to be ventilated and put into certain environments that encourage gas exchange. My understanding is about 30 to 40% of babies that are born in this situation will develop a form of bronchopulmonary dysplasia. Oh. And so that's a, a disordered growth in their bronch bronchial, yeah, bronchials. Okay. That's just an ex another example. I'm not All sure right. what that means down downstream or long term. Yeah. But that's just another example. All right. All right. So we've covered in an hour, just over an hour. Yeah. Uh, five Re types of. Cell yeah. adaption. I think so. And I think the, the recap would be that um, everything needs to maintain homeostasis, including your cells. Uh, if your cells are exposed to changes in the environment, they need to adapt. Uh, sometimes these adaptations result in changes in their structure, number or form. And this can be hyperplasia, increased cell number, hypertrophy, increased cell size, atrophy, decrease in cell size, uh, metaplasia, decrease in the form or shape of the cell, 
or just alteration. And dysplasia, which is change of the cell, which can result in disease. It's deranged, yeah. And that there's a number of different things that can cause this. Excessive things such as stimuli. uh, Deficiencies. Deficiencies such as oxygen, nutrients, and also... uh, Abnormalities. Abnormalities, which may be genetic or physical or whatever it may be. And when you, and when you're studying your pathophysiology, so when you when you're studying diseases, try and go back to these principles and see if you can find that the disease itself has kind of this underpinning manifestation. Yep. Now you can find us on Twitter. Probably not me anymore. Well, you can find I've us almost, on Twitter. I've almost retired. Anyway, Doctor Matt and Doctor Mike. That's our Twitter handle. You can find us there. You can go to Facebook, Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike on Facebook. You can just follow me on Instagram. I put up a whole bunch of videos on these types of things. He's very active on Instagram. Very active. I do five-minute videos for you that help you with your courses, all for free, all for fun. That's Dr. Mike Todorovic. That's D-R-M-I-K-E-T-O-D-O-R-O-V-I-C. Probably should get a shorter last name. That is my handle on Instagram. And you can also find me on Twitter as well. Just look up Dr. Mike Todorovic. And thank you for listening and we'll be back in a fortnight. See you, Mike. See you, Maddie.